welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host Delilah Jones, president of ImaginePublicity.com, welcoming you today to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. So uh, welcome again, everyone, to this Saturday edition. And I want to let you know I'm flying solo here today. Um, my esteemed co-host had a uh, conflict in her schedule, so I hope that she's enjoying her time off with her family. And uh, we've gotten on the air, so I guess I did something right. And uh, so today um, I have a very important guest. I, I think it's going to create quite an impact. We, uh, um, I have, um, I have uh, Angie Warner Gilchrist, who is a Q Center coordinator from South Carolina, but uh, more importantly, she is a survivor of um, violent crime, and not only one heinous violent crime that was uh, perpetrated upon her, her family. Uh, her mother was taken away in a most heinous way, but she also, several years later, was um, visited by violent crime again. And I have to just applaud her resilience, her, her ability to come back and, and to reinvent her life and to, and to be an aspiring person um, and just to um, give us some insight into what it's like to, to deal with um, the, the life that she's had to live and, and uh, come out the other side and to share her story. So um, without further ado, I say good morning, Angie from South Carolina. How are you? And thank you so much for being part of our Shattered Lights Radio today. Good morning, Donna. Thank you. I'm great, and thank you for having me. Well, it's it's my pleasure to have you, and like I say, I think we're going to try to uh, serve as a, an inspiration for other people who have um, homicide uh, visit upon them. And I, I think maybe the best way to introduce this uh, your your case with your mom. Um, I, I think uh, you were fortunate in a number of ways to have some very strong advocates come to the fore and to help you bring this uh, to national attention, but had some people not not visit your life in the way that they did, perhaps some of the circumstances would not have unfolded as they did. And I want to say that, you know, I, I applaud I applaud you for, for what you have accomplished and what you do for um, other crime victims um, and using your life as an example. And it's very courageous to come on the radio and kind of, you know, share your life. So thank you, thank you so much for doing that. Would you like, why don't we start by um, giving a little bit of background with, uh, uh, with regard to um, how, you, how you got introduced to this club of crime that we belong to, a, a club that we never want to to um, be a part of, but we're kind of thrust in that. It, the first crime that we're going to talk about has to do with what what happened with your mom back in 2002. Um, in 2002, my mother was um, carjacked in the Walmart parking lot in Conway, South Carolina, by two escapees from a Kentucky detention center. Um they held her captive in her vehicle for roughly about four hours um, where they repeatedly raped her um, and, of course, stole money from her bank account and then ultimately murdered her and threw her body in some woods. And uh, that's where she laid for many years. I, I just... You know, it, it may, I'm, I'm very seldom speechless, but, but crimes of, of this nature, I just, 
there is no rhyme or reason. Um, can, were these perpetrators career offenders who had just gotten out of jail and decided to let's let's go on another crime spree? What? How did this? How did the events occur? Occur? Uh, they actually escaped a Kentucky detention center. Uh, they were both looking at many years in a prison. I think it was like 10 years. Folks had a, uh, some kind of child abuse charge on him. And then Basham had, I think, fraudulent checks or of some sort. So they were looking at a long time in prison and yes, they were, you know, messed up individuals, young, both young men who didn't really live the straight and narrow life. You know what I mean? And so right. they just, they were in fear of spending a long time in prison, so they did, they figured out a way to escape the detention center. But the help and they got somebody from Kentucky to, work to, to Myrtle Beach? They and sure, they well, they did. And, well, on the way, my mother wasn't the first. She was the third of, of she was the third victim. There was a man that they tied to a tree named James in Indiana, I believe. My memory serves me right. And Uh then they they abducted Samantha Burns in a mall parking lot, and they murdered her as well. That was in West Virginia. And then they made their way down here to South Carolina. And the folks was familiar with this area because uh, many, many years prior, he had briefly lived down here in a part of Horry County. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so they... So was would you call this, a, with your mom and the other people, sort of a crime of opportunity? They, they went to a mall where we see a woman walking to her car and, oh, she's kind of an easy target kind of thing? I believe so. Yeah, you know, Samantha and my mom were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. It would have happened to somebody, regardless. They were on a mission, and they they were just going to complete that mission. And unfortunately, Samantha was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and so was my mother. Oh wow! It that that's just incredible. Tell tell me about your. Your mom as a person and your relationship with her growing up. I mean, what what was what was that like? I know you had a special a special relationship with her, but what what are your most um, vivid memories of her? You know, growing up and maybe before right before this occurred, because this was sort of approaching Christmas time, right? Uh, my mom, she was a very um, vibrant woman. I mean, her personality, her soul was, it shined so bright. Everything that she did, she put all of herself into it. She loved flowers. She loved being outdoors. She, you know, growing up, I, growing up, there was a lot of flower beds in the yard and, you know, I grew up with that and gardening and birds. She loved birds and nature. So, you know, those are my fondest memories of her growing up as a child is the beauty that she had within herself and, of course, with her home, our home. And she loved to be surrounded by beauty. And she enjoyed being a mom and, and took pleasure in, in, in raising you and your, your sister. I wouldn't say it's my mother had us very young. Um, yeah. It was okay. Things, it was hard. I think she, yeah, it was hard. And, you know, my mother was no stranger to uh, violence. My And I hate to say this on radio because I love my father dearly. He abused her. You know, she, she had a hard life. and uh, She had a hard life. Mhm. I think that's very typical. And but but just to see that she came out of that and 
you know, try to surround herself with beauty in the midst of, of being abused is, you know, um, amazing in itself. So the, the fact that you were able to pick that up as a, as a child and see the good being surrounded by chaos is, is, is a great thing. And I think, you know, everything that, that comes after this and what you have tried to use as an example um, and create a legacy for her um, with your work with the Q Center um, just speaks to, you know, the strength and the resiliency that it takes. Uh, what, what is it that you miss the most with regard, with regard to your mom all these years later? If, if what you I had her the most, today, yeah. I miss being able to call my mom and talk to my mom. My mom, I could call or I could talk to her about anything. It didn't matter what. I mean, nothing would embarrass this woman. She was very down to earth, very blunt, straight up. You, she was. She came <laughs> at people that way, and she could receive yeah. it that way. You know, so. Mm-hmm. What I miss is being able to pick up the phone or drive to her house and say, you know, hey, mom, this is what's going on in my life. You know, can you kind of help me? Can you direct me? Can you guide me? You know, I miss that. I'm I'm 40 years old and I still miss the, you know, my mom's advice and her direction, her guidance. I mean, that I that's something that never goes away. It's, a child doesn't lose that, and I don't think a mother ever loses that that wanting and that, uh, that ability to nourish their children. Right. And how, how about your relationship with your sister? My relationship with my sister, we love each other. We are my sister and my mother. Are you, are you referring to my mother's relationship with my sister or me and my sister? Uh, I mean, all of you, do you, do you, because you, you, you've lost your mom, have you kind of bonded with your sister over time? Oh, yes. And, you know, and we have a good relationship. Yes, uh, we're all we have left. I mean, right. our biological father has passed away when we were teenagers and, uh, then mom so, 10 years later and you know so we're all we have left of you know so the family right. so it's you and your out. sister right can you can you tell us um with regard to the the um aftermath events of the the actual crime with your mom how 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 was your treatment with regard to uh law enforcement and the media and maybe we can get into your um how you got involved with the Q Center and what was important at that juncture in your life. How did all this come together? That that part of the story. Um law enforcement it was great. I mean, there was a little bit of confusion at first, you know, as far as jurisdiction with my mom's case, but once it was all figured out, we we had a great detective on my mom's case, which was Randy Rizzo. And I had a really great victim's advocate. My only issue with the whole thing going in with this was a vic- the victim's advocate that they have with the law enforcement isn't, yes, they know their job as far as by the book, but right. to really fully understand what, a victim is going through, I really think they have to have first hands on experience with actually going through that crime. If that makes any sense. I agree. Mm -hmm. So they knew that, are you saying they knew the procedural aspects of what to do, but because they haven't gone through it, like you and I, there's, you know, there's that, maybe that gap there or that lack of understanding did you feel like you weren't connecting with the person, maybe? Yes, yes. I felt so lonely, so helpless, and just I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. And and all the you know the victim's advocate can tell you is what they've learned in their training, which you know, to for the victim itself, it makes no sense. You know, it's like right. How can I do? 
how can I do that when all I want to do is pump my mouth full of vodka and just forget that this ever happened to me, you know? Right. So what did they try to do? And then, uh, I mean, with respect to giving you uh, resources or referrals for all that you were going through. Can you tell us on a personal level, because I know that you, you aren't shy about sharing, you, you, you went through quite a big um, personal struggle after this. How did you, quote, unquote, try, try to cope um, after this crime? What, what happened with, with, with you personally? Would you like to share a little of that? Um, well, what I did with is not healthy and it is by far the worst thing that you can ever do is self-medicate yourself with alcohol and drugs. And that's what I did. Um, It was just, I found through the alcohol and through the drugs, I found a sense of happiness, even though it clearly was not happiness at all. It was just masking my, my deep, Pain, Your pain that I mm-hmm. right, and you just—it's a nightmare that you're living, and you never wake up. It's this—it's almost like Groundhog's Day. Have you ever seen the movie? You wake yes. up, and you, your mom is still missing. Your mom is still dead. You're—you're you're never gonna have her back. And then all these questions of why me? Why did why did this happen to me? And you just all these things go through your head on a daily basis and you uh, you get to a point where you're just so sick of it. You want to escape it. And instead of right. seeking the avenue of counseling with a therapist or a grievance counselor or something, because you really have to deal with the feelings that you're having in order to progress and move forward. But unfortunately, at that time in my life, I was just so lost and felt so helpless that I turned to the avenue of drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And was it the act that, I mean, the heinousness of this, it wasn't just, okay, they they saw your mom at a at a mall and they they abducted her and killed her. But look at this. They, you know, they had their way with her for four hours. They, they took all of her money. They raped her repeatedly. Did you, as a woman, did you, I mean, have nightmares about all of these horrific details she went through? I mean, that must have been playing over and over in your head. That is so overkill, if you'll excuse the expression. I mean, I just can't believe that um, someone would have to go through that. Was that part of your wanting to drown your sorrows about how vicious, how how inhumane this was, Angie? Yeah, you want to forget. You just don't even want to yeah. think about it. And, then, of course, on top of all of that, not only do you, are you trying to deal with all those feelings of what happened, now you're feeling vulnerable and scared yeah in society because now you're thinking, you know, what what good is humanity? If a complete stranger can go ahead and carjack you in the Walmart parking lot and have his way with you for four hours and then kill you, now you're thinking everybody in the world is that way. Right. And you're feeling so vulnerable. Did you feel like, oh I can't I can't go out? I I mean, how did it change your your behaviors in terms of how you conducted yourself? Did, did you did you lock yourself up in your house for, you know, months or or whatever? No, no. But I I I was just more cautious in my vehicle. Like if I would leave the house, my doors were locked. Mm-hmm. I would never drive my car with my doors unlocked. Um, I kind of avoided that Walmart that she was abducted in for a while. You know, I didn't want to go there. Right. My sister to this day even though she doesn't come down and visit often. But when I took her there over the wintertime and she was, she was a mess. I thought she was going to have a severe anxiety attack. It still affects her to this day. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I could totally understand that. Um, well, how, um, 
how did you come to get connected with the Q Center for Missing Persons? What 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 played a role there? Was it certain people you met and you connected with with media and then with Monica? Well, I actually had known of Monica since 2002 because um, when they abducted my mother, they actually crossed over state lines and went into North Carolina. And when they hit North Carolina, I'm not quite sure who contacted Monica or Q. I want to say it was the sheriff at the time, but I'm not 100% sure now. It's been 13 years. Um, Right. Somebody contacted Monica, and, of course, you know, she she grabbed up all her, at the time, uh, volunteers to go out and search. Um, so she was pretty active on my mother's case right from the get-go. My, my stepfather had met her. My Several of my aunts had met her. You know, she was out mm-hmm. there beating the streets right then in the beginning. And um, I didn't actually meet Monica personally until 2003 when she had asked my stepfather if we would speak at one of the candle vigils that she held. Right. And um, – so we were invited to that, and, and we spoke. And I met her for the first time then, but my involvement with Monica didn't really come until 2009, my involvement with Q. However, in 2008, I um, stumbled across this website called Peace for the Missing, and there was this article written online by Peggy, a.k.a. known as Delilah Jones. Yes. Um, This piece was written about my mom, and I had read it, and it directed me to this website called Peace for the Missing. And I joined this website, and Peggy and I started talking. And most known to me, she was a local. She lived in Myrtle Beach. So her and I kind of connected personally, uh, offline, and my mother's anniversary was coming up that year, and we were thinking, well, we need to do something for my mom, you know, because it had been so many years I had fought my addiction with drugs and, you know, finally had pulled myself up out of that deep, dark hole I had been living in for years, you know, and I was finally able to see light and I'm breathing, you know, Mhm. Yeah. So Peggy and I decided in 2008 we were going to stop or go to one of the last stops of Q's the road tour. Road tour. And it happened to be in it was Whiteville, Whiteville, and I it was for this missing woman, and I cannot remember her name now for the life of me. But she had daughters, and it, it just touched me very personally, you know, being that my mother was abducted and had, you know, was missing still, and, you know, I wanted to go. So I met Peggy there, and uh, it was from there, everything, it just snowballed. Peggy and I, we hooked up with Isaac Bailey, which is a writer for the Sun News here in Horry County, and I met with him on many sessions, speaking about you know, what my family went through with my mother's uh, abduction and murder. And my sister and I started talking, and I said, Jen, let's, you know, do a fundraiser for Q. Let's do something. You know, they were looking for mom for so long, for, you know, throughout all these years. Let's do something. I mean, if we can do something to help give back to them for, you know, what they have done for us. Right. We decided to have a fundraiser. And in all of this, Isaac Bailey had wrote a letter to Folk, one of the men who murdered my mother. And Folk had responded back with the letter. Well, Jennifer went to Monica with the letter and showed Monica. Monica took the letter and Monica ran with it. She was like, okay, this is, this is it. You know, so she personally wrote folks a letter herself, and three months so later, this, this is she the letter that re- they wrote and sent to the prison, 
and to see if he would respond. What what was the letter? What was the content of the letter from Isaac? And was it similar to what Monica wrote? What tell us a little bit about that? What did they say um, to this guy? The letter that Isaac Bailey wrote was I can't really remember all of it. It's been eight years. Right, but the gist of it? The gist of it was like was saying, Where did you leave Alice? You know, don't you want to give this family some kind of resolution? Mm-hmm. Is the gist of Isaac Bailey's letter. And that was pretty much the gist of Monica's letter. You know, was say word for word what she wrote because I really don't know what she wrote. But all I know is whatever she wrote, it got it, it, her his response came back with what she needed to find my mother because she got the letter on a Friday and it was the next day, Saturday, they were all down here and they found the first piece of her. And that was in 2009, January of 2009. So did he, did he respond in writing or did they allow him under strict security to go on the search to help identify where your mom was located? He responded in a letter. He, he was not allowed. They did not let him come down here. No, not to my mother's. Okay. And, and how, how, how did that search go? How long did it take? It took that they searched that Saturday, they searched that Sunday, and of course it's raining to beat the bandit. It was horrible. And then they oh. came back the following weekend and searched some more, and it was that second weekend that um, FBI agents came down and helped and a couple other law enforcement came and, and helped and and then it was that on that second one that we they found a lot more of her remains. I mean they didn't find all of all of her, but it was enough for us to you know identify. Identify and and enough for Jennifer and I to feel content and at peace, you know, knowing, okay, we can at least bring some of her home and lay her to rest. Right. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Where she she rightfully deserves. She didn't deserve to be thrown out in the middle of the woods or or a field like a piece of trash. Nobody deserves oh. that. I don't care who Nobody. you are. You're a, a prostitute, a drug addict, or or whatever. Nobody deserves to be laid like that. I don't care. It's wrong. Absolutely. What what were the charges that they were charged with, and what were the laws at the time? Were, was this an absolute death penalty case for, for both of them? Um, because they crossed federal or they crossed state lines, it was a federal case. Um, in a federal case, and actually, in, I believe in any case, you can prosecute somebody. For murder, or it was uh, they were being charged um, abduction or kidnapping, not kidnapping, abduction resulting in death is what they were charged oh. with. Okay. And even though the, we did not have her body, they were still able to go ahead and prosecute them without okay. her body. nobody. And what were they? Was it? Um... Was, was this was this a death penalty case at the time? With, well, we were asked uh, by law enforcement or, and even by the um, the United States. Oh goodness gracious! Forget what they're called. It's been so long. <laughs> the, the Attorney General the of the United States. Of the Attorney General, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it. At the time prosecuting the, my mother's case, it was Johnny Gasser and, um, oh, I forget his first name, but it was a Strong Thurman. Son. I can't remember his name. That's but okay. Anyway, um, they asked us if we wanted to go ahead and get the, go for the death penalty. I mean, because they could have done it either way. They could have done just went ahead and went for the sentencing of life in prison or the death mm-hmm. penalty. So what did you feel was more important to you and your sister to have him put to death, which is not really put to death if you're on death row for years 
or to have them sit in jail and think about it through their, their life. What was more important to you and your sister? What was more important to us was death. You know, we're, my thought was, why should he have, why should they have a choice? You know, right. why should they be allowed, be allowed to live and the rest of their life? Why should they be allowed to eat every day? Why should they be allowed I to breathe see. every day? When they didn't give Why my mother that choice, pay for it, right? Why should the taxpayers right. pay for incarceration of the, of these people? You're, right? Yeah. They so it wasn't it wasn't a, a difficult decision. Then you just felt very strongly that that's the course you wanted to take. Oh, absolutely. There wasn't even we didn't even have to think about it. It was yeah. we were asked and we just it came out. You know, it was like right then and there. We want death. We want him to, them to die. Why should they live? Yeah. My mother didn't get to live. Right. No. I, I, I agree with you. I, I really do. There are many people who would say, say the opposite or say uh, something else, but I, I agree with you, Ange. Hey, um, uh, and all through this process, um, a couple things, and then we are, we're, you know, we're halfway through the show already. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, what uh, out of all these events that unfolded over time, because I know you've grown in so many ways and matured, uh, if, a, if a crime visits somebody, uh, at the other end there, is, there are positive things that come out eventually. But are there things that have gotten easier over time uh, for you? And you say, this is something positive I can grab onto, even with all of this horrendousness. You need throughout all of this it's finding finding something to give you a, okay you need something to give you hope something some kind of direction some kind of purpose in life because after you go through these you know, horrific crimes, you feel so hopeless and so lost and confused because, you know, your whole world and life as you once knew it is shattered and thrown off course. So you kind of need to find some kind of stability to ground you. And that's what Q did. For me, and even, and not so much as right away, you know, like I, my involvement, I didn't become a state coordinator until, um, well, let's see, it's 2013, and I, and it was just a complete accident that I stumbled, not stumbled into Q, because I never just stumbled into Q. Um, I actually lived right down the road at the time in 2013 from where Zach Milanowski's car was found burned. He was a, a really? young man that went missing in Ainer, South Carolina. And yeah. I happened to see people from Q walking around down the road from my house. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Q. So I called... Mm-hmm. Monica, I emailed somebody and I'm like, what's going on down the, you know, down this road? I see people from Q and then I kind of got involved in that search. And you wanted to get involved and that's it. And you were ready Mm -hmm. at that point then, it sounds like, right? You were ready to give back. You were trying to get your life back on track and, and point it maybe in another direction after all of the horrificness of your mom's crime. But, you know, what I'd like, you know, and I commend you for doing that because they are an anchor. They were an anchor for me. I found, you know, even though my dad was only missing for maybe a day or so, my dad was still killed in a homicide, and it took six and a half years. And they embraced people who've had homicide. And, and, you know, I was lauded with all kinds of awards this year at the conference. I felt like Michelle Obama or somebody and I have to say they are a second family to me too, Angie. So I know what you're talking about. But, you know, let's let's segue over to 
this another chapter of your life that you never anticipated and you know you have a strong will and you you work at the, you know you worked at a kind of job that sometimes is a high risk job for a woman right you have right. to work in a convenience store is, is that not right when did you start working at at this place and let's talk um in the remaining time about this other event that that happened in your life that you could never have anticipated okay well i uh i was i worked at a convenience store at the scotchman right there on 501 in conway and i worked the third shift i loved the the hours there wasn't a lot of people granted i didn't see the best of society during those hours, but I didn't care, you know. I loved the quietness of the night. The night gave serenity to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I started working there in 2013. And on January 1st of 2015, at 1.30 in the morning, I was working. I was making donuts, coming out from the bathroom with, muffins and in front of my face or around the corner running was two black men disguised with uh, hoodies and bandanas over their face with guns pointed at me. Oh my Um, God. At the time I really wasn't even aware that they were coming in to rob me because one was wearing red and one was wearing blue. I thought they were rivaling gangs that happened to have a, a beef with each other and they just came into the store. And so yeah. I was like I I was like, Oh my god, they're gonna shoot each other, you know. So I threw the muffins up in the air and threw myself on the floor to get out of the line of fire unknown to me that I'm the person they want, so they're pulling me up off the floor and ordering me to get up off the floor. And finally, when I, I'm shaking at this point, and I stand up, and I, instinct tells me to put my head down. So I put my hands up and put my head down, and I feel one of the guys jam a gun into my back, and he tells me to move. <sighs> So I just start walking, and I'm following the other kid, and they bring me behind the counter, and I'm standing there with my hands up, and they're like, open it. And I, I'm thinking they're talking about my register. So I go yeah, they over wanted and I the hit money the, in the Yeah. They, uh-huh. Well, what they wanted was the money in the safe. I can't access the safe. I open up my register, and the the guy pulls out what's in my till, which is $21. And then they're yelling at me. They're yelling at me to open the safe. Where's the, where open the safe, open the safe. And I said, I can't, I don't have the key to that. And they're like, well, where's the key? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And they, and and they don't believe you. Well, I guess they did because at that point they look at each other and they run out, you know, run out from behind the counter and they're running towards the door. And as they're running towards the door, one of them is turned around with his gun pointed at me the whole time they're running towards the door. And I'm just standing there with my hands up. And finally, as the second guy is getting ready to go out the door, I throw myself down behind the counter and hit the panic button and at this time, as I'm going down behind the counter, I see a white pickup truck pull up to pump three. And uh, so I come, I stand up really slow up from behind the counter, hoping that they're not still in the store and going to shoot me. And when I stand up, they're running alongside the store, getting ready to go around the back of the store and the kid who's in the truck is getting out of his truck. So I'm waving my arms like a lunatic trying to tell him to stop because I don't want him to come to the, towards the store. And those two guys turn around and shoot him, you know. Right. <laughs> when you hit it, the panic crazy. button, does that lock the door, Angie? No, it doesn't lock the door. The panic button sends an alarm to um, 911 dispatch. A silent alarm? 
Mm-hmm. It sends an alarm to dispatch, and it's it's a robbery alarm. They so they know that it's a an armed robbery in progress. Okay. And what's the procedures with a, a store like that? I mean, you have a like you said a safe, but people think, oh, you you just keep the day's receipts in there and only twenty bucks in the register. Is that is that how it goes, or does it depend on the company? It depends on the company. Some companies allow up to $75 in their till, some 150 It just depends. You know, every every company has a different um, limit according to the day. You know, day shift yeah. at one company may be 150 day shift at another company is 75 and then night shift at one company may be 40 and night shift with another company may be 75 It just depends on okay. the company. Scotchmen, they, you know, they only allow us twenty dollars. <laughs> mhm. Wow. So, did, was there a female accomplice here? Is that what I what I read? Uh, yes, there was a, a a female driver of of the the vehicle. The vehicle actually, when they they went to Walmart before they came to rob the store to buy their bandanas, their gloves, their sweatshirts and all that. They went to buy that stuff before they came to rob the store. Um, And there was a female driver driving the four of them. There was actually four of them. Two of them Uh chickened out coming in the store at the last minute. So they stood outside the store while Mm -hmm. I was being robbed. Um, Anyway, the female, she drove uh, drove past this came down 501 like she was going towards Aner. And if you take a right at that light at the store, it's four-mile road, and she drove right. up past the store. And once you pass the store, there's like this wooded area, and that's where she stopped and let them out, let them out of the car. And then what did they do? Did they get in other vehicles and leave? Um, no, when they ran from the store, they ran through the woods behind the back of the store and got back in the car with her. And she drove up the road a little ways to this place called um, Country Manor. It's a little housing development. And she pulled in there, and she started freaking out. She's like, get out of the car, get out of the car. I'll call you a cab. Get out of the car. And then I'll call like, you a cab? Yeah, oh literally, I'll call you a cab. So she calls them a cab, and they're going to meet up at this place called um, Crab Commons, which is a housing development off of El Bethel Road. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she calls them a cab. Well, by the time the cab comes, the store is littered with, like, I don't even know how many cops. I had... Conway City cops, I had Horry County cops, and there was mass quantities of them because there was just an armed robbery up in Myrtle Beach not too long ago, not before my robbery. On the same day? So, or same, yeah, the same, wow. Yeah, yeah, so was, same this, night. was this a crime spree in the making? They went from one place to another to another? No, I don't think no. the guys who robbed me, no, I do not think that at all. I mean, it's just my opinion and my feeling. I don't, right. and, and according to testimony that I heard when we went to trial, no, you know, I was the only store involved with them. But, you know, that past winter, there were robberies left and right. You know, you were hearing about Dollar General. Every Dollar General here in Horry County, I think, got hit. And if they, there was only Mm -hmm. a very few that didn't get robbed. It seemed like everything was getting robbed that winter. You had your sun houses were getting robbed. Scotchman's were getting robbed. The only convenience store you did not hear of getting robbed was Murphy's. Even the Wilco Mm -hmm. Hess stores got robbed. Everything was getting robbed. Wow. Well, can, can you tell us, um, did you feel at that point or after this, and want to get into a little bit with the trial because we have about 14 minutes left just to give you a time check. Um, did you say to yourself right after the uh, acute event, 
oh, oh my, oh my God, like you had sort of partially been healed after all these years with your mom's murder, and then this totally opens up old wounds. Did you feel like, oh my God, this is happening again? I'm, I'm, I can't deal with this. I'm going back to the bottle. I'm going back to drugs. I'm, I'm, I'm checking out. I mean, what did this do to you? emotionally to have this second one and were you better able to cope in some way Angie oh yes most definitely there was no going back to the life of drugs not happening no good um (laughs) yes I may have drank a little more than I should have I did drink you know a little bit more than I should have but no drugs but this time you know I had uh I had a better support system in my life, you know. I had Q to fall back on if I needed them. I had, or I, you know, I, I was with, or I'm with a man that was very, you know, is very supportive, and he has a great family. I had a support system this time. You know, I didn't Wonderful. feel lonely or helpless or didn't know where to turn. I mean, this time I had, you know, I had direction. I knew, I knew you kind of, in a sense, you know, being a victim of a crime does not come with an instruction manual at all, you know. <laughs> that's so we that's are often a great left, thing to say. Yeah. Right. We are often left feeling hopeless and lonely. And, you know, and the sad reality is, is that we, people in society, live with a blinding inclination that these horrific crimes will not happen to us. And that is furthest from the truth. And sadly enough, after I went through my mother's abduction and murder, I thought I was, you know, uh, bulletproof. You know, I figured, oh, I I went through (laughs) this. Nothing, nothing's going to touch me now. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I did suffer some, step back as far as um, I used to get very scared uh, being outside at dark. Um, if I was smoking on my porch and it was dark out, I would get very scared. I'd throw myself up against my house so nothing could get behind me. Um, if I mm-hmm. heard a gun go off because there was a shooting range not sure. far from my house, if I heard a gun go off, I literally would throw myself on my deck. I was thought I was being shot at. There were some yeah. emotional trauma that went along with it, but it was nothing did that I could not overcome. Did you get counseling at this point? Did you get I did. counseling I, after this one? I did. I did go in and get counseling this time around. I did. <laughs> and that helped. Uh, and tell us a bit about, about the, now there were, there were two trials, is that right? Um, for this one, there was only one, um, okay, one, three, let's see, the female turned state evidence, and then the other three men that were charged with aggravated robbery and, and kidnapping, um, they pled guilty and they, the three of them, they got, they were sentenced to 10 years in prison. And one of them, Rashid Glover, he pled not guilty. So he, you know, as he had rights, so now he could, he had a trial. And um, three days before his trial was to begin, he cut his ankle monitor off and he fled. However, when he got out on bond, he signed a piece of paper stating that if he did not come to his hearing, and, or his trial, it would go ahead and proceed without him, and which it did. The jury found him guilty. The judge wrote his sentence on a piece of paper and put it in an envelope because I guess that's procedure. And mm-hmm. He was, in February of 2016, Rashid Glover was caught. He was apprehended. He was incarcerated. And he was read his sentence, and he ended up with 25 years. My goodness. Well, did you did you do a victim impact statement for either of these crimes? I did a victim impact statement for my mother's trials. Um, I didn't. I testified at the 
the trial for my robbery. I got up and testified. Wow. It's, uh, what's, what's that like to have to be involved in the testimony as opposed to just being the victim? I mean, so you weren't in there and you couldn't hear the trial because you were a witness, correct? No, I got to stay in the courtroom. I got to hear it all. You did? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was scary. I mean, yeah. testifying. And then you were, I, what's the word? Of course, uh, his attorney questioned me, you know, and tried to make me look like an idiot, you know, but that's his job. They put He's you on to, trial. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, what what did so you did excuse me you did do a victim impact statement for your for your mom's um, for the trial of the perpetrator then is that right yeah um, did you get help doing that and what was what was what was that like for you uh, that was a very emotional situation, emotional thing. Um, I, it's not something I ever want to relive, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. That whole thing was horrid, all of it. I mean, yeah. Were there certain, certain things you wanted to say that you didn't, you know, you didn't get to and that's what you used that time for? There... I have what I wrote, what I said I have wrote down. I can't remember to this day because that part of my life, I was so messed up. Like, yeah, you know, my, my mind wasn't even where it should have been. You know, sure. there's a lot of that part of my life that I have completely blocked out just because of the, the horrificness of it. Sure. Self-protection. So you were right. able, you stood up and you delivered the victim impact statement, or did somebody do it on your behalf? No, I didn't mind. I didn't mind. You did your, you did. And buried my stepfather did his. The only person that could not do hers was my sister, because um, she, we, my sister and I were in an elevator with some of the jury members. Yeah. Um, some of the jury were talking. They well, they weren't talking. They had just made a statement. Wow. They're like, I can't believe what we just heard. And my sister said, Oh, you haven't heard nothing yet. Well, because of what my sister said, the judge thought that it would be best that she did not deliver her victim's impact statement. It would have been a conflict right? of interest, and it would have hindered the case. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! So she was prohibited. Oh my, the fact that you were able to be in the same elevator—that not good planning, right? No. Oh, <laughs> so from that day forward, my sister and I waited. You know, we were the last ones on the elevator. But <laughs> <laughs> the, the things we learned the hard way. Yes, the things yeah. we learned the hard way. Well, what what is um? We have about five five or so minutes. What is your solace today? What gives you pleasure? Um, how, how are you you continuing on with your life now, and what are your future goals? Um, my Right now, um, my involvement with Q, has, this year I've gotten a little more progressive with it. I joined the, um, the, research, the national research team. And I also joined the interpersonal violence team. And with those two, you know, I hope that with everything that I do and Q does with the many different facets involved, I want people to know that no matter what kind of crime we encounter in our lives, we are not alone. You know, um, there is an organization like you out there for people, for victims, to advocate, to be an advocate, to help advocate people. You know, um, mm-hmm. you do not have to suffer through any of this by yourself. 
there are so many so people important. involved with Q. One person doesn't have an answer or, or have the information or know what you need to know, they'll find somebody right. to direct and that's you. That's the beauty of you it. Know. The national network. Hey, can you tell us a little bit, Angie, about the two? Now, one, one group, you're doing research for cases. Is that what it is? Uh, the two groups yes. that the, the special work groups. What's the other? What's the other group involved? Interpersonal violence. It's it's very new, fairly new. It's really not off the ground yet. It was introduced at um this past year at our um, national conference by Dana Hamilton. She's a right. uh, North Carolina a state outreach coordinator. Um, yes. the manager of it. Um, so it's kind of in the beginning stages, but ultimately, you know, the message that we want to send out for that particular team is that violence is violence regardless of what it is. Bullying, verbal, physical, whatever. And it doesn't come just from a spouse. It doesn't come just from a sibling. It can come from a complete stranger. Um you know, and these kind of sort of things lead up to crime. You know what I mean? As far as bullying, bullying, you bully someone to the point where they can't take it anymore. They're going to commit suicide. They commit suicide. Well, they're going to do it in a place by themselves, and someone may not find them. Therefore, they become missing. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. It's the domino. The chain of events. It, yeah, it, it, it escalates. And, uh, so you're you're absolutely right, and I commend you for. I think those are two great great groups to belong to, and I'm I'm familiar with Dana, and Dana's also a police officer, I believe, so she has a good set of skills. Um, and before we go, I know that you are a mom, um, and I believe you had a special milestone event with one of your daughters recently, didn't you? Um, can you talk a little bit about being a mom and what makes it special for you and you know, you must be thinking of your mom and oh, she would be proud of what your 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 daughters are doing, correct? Most definitely. And and the sad part about that is that after everything with my mother, I I chose to um because of the things that I was doing in my life and I thought it was not healthy for my children to grow up in an environment like that. I right. um I kind of you know, not walked away but you know, let their let their father raise them because I wasn't in the state to raise them. And right. uh, so I spent many, many years uh, apart from my daughters, and um, which, you know, I regret very much. But um, they are now 17 and 18 years old, so they can make the decision and the choice to pursue a relationship with me, which they have. And so I was able to reconnect with my daughters a few weeks ago, and I was able to watch my oldest daughter graduate high school, which was fantastic. Yeah, that's wonderful. Is someone going to – go ahead. I don't want to spoil it. Go ahead. Tell us. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Was it – is someone going to nursing school? Oh, yes. My oldest daughter, she was accepted at um, South Carolina University in Columbia. She's going to be a Gamecock. Uh-huh. And she's going to wow. the uh, nursing school that they have there, yeah, for four years. And she's going to graduate with her RN. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And my daughter, Chloe, she goes to a, um, an ATA school here in Conway. And she, when mm-hmm. she graduates next year, she's actually going to have her cosmetology license. Wow. Well, it's, isn't that wonderful how things come full circle? And I think it's a really good uh, positive note to end, end on because, unfortunately, our, Angie, our hour is up, and I want to extend the invitation for you to come back in the future if you would like, and we could we could talk on some of the good things you're doing um, with the queue down the road, but I want to thank you so much for for helping shine a light on your life and to, to to help other people and use your experience for the good. So so thank you, thank you again, and um, 
we're going to say we're going to say um, good evening, good morning, wherever you're listening, and wrap this up. So, thank you, Angie. I appreciate it so much. And let let's stay in touch, okay? As as fellow coordinators. Yes, ma'am. And thank you for okay, having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. And be sure to share this uh, podcast with all your friends and neighbors. So. Good good day, good night, good morning, everyone. Until next Saturday on Shattered Lives Radio.